0: Welcome to Question Period, I'm Evan Solomon. On the program today, Rocky Rise.
1: I'm back!
0: (laughs) Controversial leader Danielle Smith wins the United Conservative Party leadership and becomes Alberta's new Premier. But could her promised fight with Ottawa start another separatism battle? How fast will she start the war with Ottawa? Alberta Premier-designate Danielle Smith joins us, and we'll get reaction from the Natural Resources Minister, Jonathan Wilkinson, on Smith's promise to build more pipelines. Then, Mulroney's
2: view. You cannot in this country get elected from the extreme left or the extreme right. It can't happen. Can new conservative leader Pierre Pauliev appeal to the political center?
0: And should conservatives really call for the halt of a carbon tax? We'll speak with former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney on that and on Canada's biggest challenge in a world of crisis. Then, Emergency Act.
3: As I've said uh, since the very beginning, we invoked the Emergencies Act because it was necessary. It restored public safety and order uh, across the country.
0: The public inquiry into the historic use of the Federal Emergencies Act begins this week. Was it justified or not? Conservative public safety critic Raquel Dancho joins us on the Scrum. This is Question Period. My last week hosting this program after seven years. So as I like to say, let's go get some answers. She is the phoenix that has just risen from the Alberta firewall. Remember back in 2001, a young Stephen Harper and six colleagues wrote about the infamous Alberta firewall. That letter, it was called the Alberta Agenda. Kretchen had been in power for three terms and Alberta Conservatives were so fed up with the federal government, which they saw as intruding on Alberta's business, that they wanted to do, among other things, ditch the RCMP, form their own police force, opt out of Canada's pension plan, collect their own income tax. Well, guess what? All that is back. The new premier-designate of Alberta, Danielle Smith, wants all those firewalls built, and something even bigger, the Alberta Sovereignty Act. The controversial act would allegedly grant the province the right to ignore federal laws and court rulings deemed to violate Alberta's judicial rights. It's been called a separatist document or unconstitutional, but it has propelled Danielle Smith to her victory as the new leader of the UCP in a tight race she run on the sixth ballot.
1: No longer Will Alberta ask permission from Ottawa to be prosperous and free? We will not have our voices silenced and censored.
0: Smith is no stranger to Alberta politics. From 2009 to 2014, she served as the leader of the Wild Rose Party. Then she resigned to cross the floor to join Jim Prentice's then-governing Progressive Conservative Party. They were not happy in the wild rose. She lost her seat. Many blamed her for the rise of the NDP and their 2015 election win. But guess what? She's made a remarkable political comeback. How would the Alberta Sovereignty Act really work? And what is in store for Alberta with the new premier designate? It is a delight to now welcome the premier designate of Alberta, Danielle Smith. Holy and I've known you for a long time. And you would be the first to admit nobody saw this coming.
1: Uh, nobody did see it coming i think at the beginning of the campaign people didn't think i had a chance but i spent six years on talk radio getting to know albertans and a lot of forgiveness took place over that six-year period of time and so those are folks who came on board to buy memberships and and uh, i was just able to squeeze out a victory on the final ballot so i'm i'm delighted that this new step we're taking it
0: is the, it wasn't a big mandate like final ballot uh six ballot uh do you have a mandate now from your party or is it still a party divided
1: no i don't think it's divided at all we had a great caucus meeting this morning and we talked through the things that came up during the election campaign the the leadership and i think we've got a, a lot of buy-in on the three main things that we need to work on in the fall one is reforming alberta health services so that we can get better health care and ad- address the issues on the front lines also amending the human rights code to make sure that no one is discriminated against on the basis of vaccine vaccine choice and then the third one is autonomy I mean my proposal was a sovereignty act but there were other proposals for autonomy that that took place during the mm-hmm. the leadership race too but I think on the th- on the on the big agenda the, those three items we have a lot of unity on moving forward okay
0: oh, you those. propel to victory largely, you, you sort of seize control of the race with this Alberta Sovereignty Act. It, it's been controversial. The former Alberta Premier Jason Kenney said that the act would turn Alberta, as you know, into what he called the Banana Republic. Corey T'Nike, who ran Doug Ford's campaign, said this recently on a po- uh, on a podcast saying, uh, here's the deeper problem with Danielle and what's at stake. Conservatives is change that is evolutionary, not revolutionary, he said. There's l- rule of law and faith in institutions. The idea of reforming institutions, not tearing them down. <laughs> down is at the core. He says there's nothing more fundamentally unconservative than that, and it's destructive. It's toxic. Mm-hmm. Ken Bozenkuhl, by the way, who co-authored the firewall letter, called York style of conservatism <laughs> kamikazeism. They don't like what you're doing. They think you're a radical that's wrecking conservatism. What's your response?
1: You know, when you have institutions you could be proud of that are functioning well that are working for people. I completely understand why you don't want to reform them. But we have institutions that are failing us on all levels. And when you have that kind of failure, it actually takes some leadership to step in and and to restructure them so i believe that we've got to do that our our country is failing us because we've got a prime minister that doesn't respect our constitutional jurisdiction he and he passes unconstitutional laws all the time and expects us to go to court to be able to fight out and get get our rights back i kind of like the quebec
0: approach but but danielle smith uh the courts for example on climate change i know you want to go to court again over the price on carbon or the carbon tax They went to court. Alberta lost its federal jurisdiction. What are you going to do about that? That's constitutional.
1: it's not double jeopardy. I mean, you can you can relitigate a case with new information. We've got new information now. We have an affordability crisis for our seniors. We also have an energy security crisis, helping our friends in Europe. Those didn't factor into the court's decisions at all, which is why I've been giving counsel that we can fight that carbon tax again at the, at the Supreme Court level, and we intend to do that. But I would look at what happened in Quebec. I mean, Quebec, when the Emergencies Act was declared at the federal level, they convened their National Assembly, which is what they call it, and put forward a motion saying they wouldn't enforce it. And it passed unanimously and the country didn't come to an end ottawa just said okay so what then. about the constitution Quebec, though, all but, the time okay, defends its like, jurisdiction vigorously
0: well they do they have they've used a notwithstanding clause twice right um and, and there may be a court case on that but just let me i'm asking about this alberta sovereignty act because uh mm-hmm. it's widely seen as unconstitutional do you think you have a mandate now before you've ever gone to a general election to actually start on down that road or are you going to wait like how quickly are you going to act on that
1: we can act really quickly on it, because I think you saw what happened last week with Justice Minister Tyler Shandro, and he demonstrated that we can stand up for our provincial jurisdiction when he said that we were not going to enforce the federal confiscation scheme on firearms because it's not our policing priority, that our policing priority is gang violence and making sure that we don't have gun smuggling, and, and provincial jurisdiction is also property and civil rights. Now, my I would just add an extra step that when we take those kinds of actions in defending our Constitution, we would put it forward in a motion in the assembly, so we can have a full debate on it. But I, I think that it's only fair to the federal government to let them know we're changing our relationship back to the way it was supposed but, to but be. But can you do We've that without going to the people on everything?
0: Can you go to that? I mean, you've got I, a mandate from like 45,000 yes. Albertans. You think you've got a mandate to do the Alberta Sovereignty mm-hmm. Act, which a lot of people will say will jeopardize the Alberta economy because investors might say, "Man, if you're not going to enforce federal legislation that the courts have said, why would we invest in Alberta right now?"
1: well you I think I think it's been mischaracterized it, is, it has nothing to do I, you said in your opening with separation at all it, what it has to do is going back and looking at how the Constitution in our country is supposed to work I know I know we've always been treated like a subordinate level of government we've acted like it but we're going to stop acting like that we're going to take our place as a senior partner in Confederation we are almost the second largest economy in the country and I, I think we deserve some respect for that I think we can work collaboratively with our federal counterparts but they cannot keep taking action that prevents us from attracting investment prevents us from investing in our oil and gas industry and prevents us from helping our friends and allies we're going to push very hard to make sure that we get our resources developed which is constitutional jurisdiction under the provincial government and then they can take us to court if they want to stop us but i think we'd we'd win that battle that's what i'm looking forward to
0: okay uh, last questions um are you going to run for a seat in the legislature? And as, when, when will you do that? And when, do, I know there's an Alberta election, is not until May 29th, 2023. Will you go yeah. sooner to the polls?
1: We will not go sooner to the polls. We'll honor the fixed election date in May, and I will be announcing hopefully as early as next week a, uh, a by-election that will commence, and I'll be in the legislature by the end of November so that I can start passing some of the legislation that I get, that I campaigned on.
0: And and just and so on that. So how soon could we see the Alberta Sovereignty Act?
1: Uh, probably first week of December would be the soonest. We've done the math. If, I, if we would launch into a by-election on October the 11th, there's always a delay period where you're validating the votes. The earliest I can get into the legislature would be November 29th. So it, would, it, would be, it would be, could be as soon as that.
0: Well, congratulations. Uh, a remarkable political victory. <laughs> and uh, here you go, Danielle Smith. Great to have you back on the program.
1: Thank you so much. And good luck in your, next, in, your ne- in your future endeavors, as they say. It's a shame I won't be uh, talking to you in this format uh, again, but I appreciate you making me one of your last interviews.
0: You certainly are, and I hope our paths cross again. That is the Premier-Designate of Alberta, Danielle Smith. Coming up, we go one-on-one with Brian Mulroney, the former Prime Minister. What does he think the greatest challenge facing Canada and Conservatives are right now? We'll find out next. Stay right here with Question Period. It's been just about a month since Pierre Polyev was elected as the new leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. He ran from the political right, hammering the government on inflation, demanding cuts to things like the price on carbon. One thing, though, he hasn't talked about much since he won are things like firing the governor of the Bank of Canada, key part of his campaign, hasn't mentioned the trucker protests. In fact, he recently had dinner with, guess who, the former progressive conservative prime minister of Canada, Brian Mulroney, to find out how he can win a majority. Is Pierre Polyev tacking to the political centre? And with the election of people like Danielle Smith in Alberta, who we just spoke to, is a new kind of conservative emerging across Canada? Let's find out. Joining me now... For my last question period show and what an honor this is the former prime minister of canada bryant Mulroney, sir what a pleasure to have you back on the program
2: well thank you evan i'm happy to be back and I'm, I'm sad this is your last program and i take advantage of the occasion to tell you how what a great contribution you've made to canadian journalism uh you have uh, really made a major impression on all canadians and i just want to wish you well in your new endeavors in New York, I'm sure this is going to lead to to bigger and better things uh, for you and your family, and I wish you well.
0: That means a lot, sir. I I really appreciate this. Now, speaking of the world, um, I've turned to you many times to get your sense of what things are going on, not only domestically, but internationally. Let's start domestically. The political world's changed in last month. The Conservatives elected Pierre Polyev. Uh, he's been the leader now for about a month. I know you've recently had dinner with him. And then you've got the election in your province of Quebec of the CAQ, the CAC, with Premier Legault. And now in Alberta, Danielle Smith wins. Some have said there's a rise of populism or a rise of anger. What is this telling you about uh, not only the country, but conservatism in the country?
2: Well, it really doesn't tell me much about, about populism. It tells me about uh, ordinary people wanting the changes in government policies and attitudes and the political parties responding to it. Uh, I saw uh, Mr. Polyev the other day at his request. I had dinner with him. We had dinner with him. I found him uh, t- to be a, a very good listener, a reasonable guy. I saw him in the House of Commons for the first time as leader the other day. I, I watched Question Period for the first time there. and. Um, I thought he was very good, he developed a sense of humor, and uh, he thinks on his feet, which is indispensable for a successful opposition leader or prime minister. So I think that he's going to take the, the Conservative Party in, in, a, in a good uh, and, and proper way, and uh, the extraneous things we've been hearing in leadership campaigns I think will be set aside largely, and uh, he will contest with Mr. Trudeau for the next election uh, top job.
0: When you say the extraneous things, I'm intrigued because I I know, you know, he had talked a lot about, you know, firing the governor of the Bank of Canada or crypto or other things that the liberals are talking to him about. And he said, you know, there's no pivot in me. This is who I am. I'm, I'm not, the office won't change me. Did you, when you spoke to him, did you say, look, be careful of X or be careful of going too far Y? Are you concerned about any of that?
2: Well, he asked me how uh, I had uh, won uh, the largest victory in Canadian history and then followed it with another uh, conservative majority government, the first time in 100 years, that that's been done since Sir John A. MacDonald, and I told him. I told him that the, uh, you have to present a vision for Canada, it has to be broad and thoughtful and generous, it has to envelop an, a proper environmental policy because Canadians want a pristine environment for their children and their grandchildren. You have to have solid economic policies and and an an external policy that places Canada back in a leadership role on the world stage. And he seemed to be in agreement that those were the elements uh, properly articulated by a new leader that could lead to victory. On the other hand, uh, uh, Evan, I cautioned him as well that this underestimation of of, uh, Justin Trudeau hasn't served the Conservatives very well. You you can question his policies as Prime Minister, that's fair ball. But what is pretty clear is that he, Justin Trudeau, is a champion campaigner and he's a retail politician of the highest order so you have to take that into account if you want to win an election against a successful politician like that. And I think that's what Mr. Paulyab is in the process of doing. And I would expect that he's going to be a strong and successful leader.
0: Just last thing on on him, because I think that dinner between the two of you is fascinating. You've been very outspoken on the environment. He's uh, canceled a carbon tax. He believes that those are hard on consumers. You believe that's the opposite. That's essential. A lot of folks have said that he's flirted with conspiracy theories about the World Economic Forum or... um, um, supporting the uh, trucker protest did you talk about those things do you think there's a danger in that or is that the ticket to a success
2: look you can't get elected with that kind of stuff Canadians are not there Canadians are in the broad generous center that's the kind of people they are and if you don't appeal to that you, you look I did say to him uh, and, uh, which is pretty obvious you cannot in this country get elected from the extreme left or the extreme right it can't happen you, we have 155 years of history to prove it how do governments get elected in the general center it could be center right could be center left but you have to be a centrist in canada otherwise you might be a very successful leader of the opposition but you're not going to be prime minister and so i think that he understands that this this uh, other stuff uh, that you see around uh, leadership conventions and policies that that you hear about, or, or policies articulated quickly in the House of Commons to score a political point. Uh, this is not what gets you elected. You have to devise, as I say, a complete vision.
0: Let's talk about the provinces. Boy, uh, thinking back to your leadership days, Mr. Mulroney, and all the tangles you had over the Constitution with the provinces. You've got Danielle Smith. She is now the premier-elect. Uh, in. Alberta, she's proposed, and she says she's going to do it, even though she's not faced the general electorate. The Alberta Sovereignty Act, something that's not constitutional. You, by the way, you've got Francois Legault, who won a big majority, and he's used the notwithstanding clause twice. As you know, Bill 21, secularism law, and the Anglos. Is the Canadian Constitution under threat? How do you face down premiers who are not just challenging the federal government, you've known that, but in some ways challenging the very fabric of the Constitution?
2: Well, you know, Mario... Cuomo used to say that you uh, campaign in poetry, but you govern in prose. And uh, the new premier of Alberta is going to learn that, as the premier of Quebec has learned it. Uh, you know, you can devise all kinds of thoughts and ideas and policies, but if they're not consistent with the Canadian Constitution and Canadian traditional practice, you're going to find this an awfully difficult. Uh, sale in your province and in the country. So I don't worry very much about things like that because uh, we have a constitution, we have a supreme court, and we have a fantastic court system all the way up. Supreme courts in the provinces, courts of appeal. This is the bulwark of democracy. The Supreme Court of Canada and the appeal courts and the superior courts of the country are our best preservation of the values and the democratic ideals that we all cherish they're there to defend that and so you don't have to worry about about provincial premiers or others getting too far out of line as long as the courts are there to rein us all in
0: interesting on that Uh, and we'll see if the federal government sort of weighs in on that Uh, last policy question before I, i just want to ask you sort of a more general question we do have a carbon price, a carbon tax. There's a rebate for certain provinces, as you know. It's been the heart of maybe almost every day in question period, and you've watched question period. Uh, uh, climate has been a big part of your legacy. You've been voted the greenest prime minister. If you, given the inflation crisis right now, Mr. Mulroney, if you were there, would you continue this price on carbon and and keep you know doubling the or, or raising the price on carbon while the rebate goes up?
2: Well, I'm not going to get into the detail of that because I'm not in the House of Commons anymore and I don't follow it day to day. But I can tell you this, you can't get elected as Prime Minister of Canada unless you have a a policy on the environment and on climate that appeals to Canadians uh, and uh, all of whom, in in different measures, want this. On the other hand, you also have to reconcile uh, the needs for uh, the Canadian economy uh, for oil and gas production, which we need, and we need pipelines as well, uh, with the needs of a growing and and, uh, and, and pristine environment. Uh, can this be done? Look, for countries that can put a man on the moon years ago, we can certainly reconcile these divergent uh, thrusts in our society. Of course we can do it. It just requires uh, the thought and the and the reflection necessary and and the political will to make accommodations in the national interest. There's too much politicization, there's too much partisanship, there's not enough reflection on what Canada needs. Mm. I used to say, and I think with with some reason that I was going to try and govern not for easy headlines in ten days but for a better Canada in ten years.
0: Mr. Mulroney, what would you say the biggest challenge facing Canada right now would be?
2: Well, we have a number of challenges. Uh, One of them is uh, our population challenge. We should have a country of 75 million people. Uh, And we, and Sean Fraser, the new Minister of Immigration, is in the process of moving us from 38 million uh, up to to those heights. Our productivity is lousy and, and the only way you create new wealth in a country is by enhancing your productivity. We have a whole series of major challenges, Evan, that require one thing, leadership. I mentioned before that Bill Clinton used to say that leadership is the capacity to look around the corner of history just a little bit. Well, if you look around the corner of history today, you see these challenges. You know that they require policy and commitment and skill to bring about the results that benefit Canada. Forget the political parties and the partisanship for just a moment and think of the country. Think of our national interests. Think of what we want for our children and grandchildren, and that's what leadership is all about.
0: Peeking around the corner of history with the former Prime Minister Brian Mulherny, which I would do any day of the week, sir. Thank you for joining us on Question Period today and giving us a bit of a look uh, down that dark alley. Thank you, sir.
2: Thank you, and good luck to you, Evan. Thank you.
0: All right. When we come back, Alberta beef. Alberta's new premier-designate, Danielle Smith, just told us she's going to enact the Alberta Sovereignty Act and challenge the federal government that she won't have Alberta's resources landlocked. How will the federal government respond to that? Well, the natural resource minister, Jonathan Wilkinson, joins us next to find out. Stay right here with Question Period. A brand new firewall in Alberta. Well, look, Canada's biggest oil-producing province has a new incoming premier. We just met her on the program earlier. She's clearly ready for a fight, not just over tax and energy. She's ready to fight the federal government over sovereignty itself. The premier-designate, Danielle Smith, won her job with a defiant Alberta First Tone. Along with her proposed Alberta Sovereignty Act, she's pledged to mount another legal challenge against the federal government's carbon tax, this despite the fact that the Supreme Court of Canada already ruled against a similar challenge back in 2021. So how will the federal government respond to Alberta's new Premier and this Alberta First approach? Let's find out. Joining me now is the person who's at the center of much of that criticism, the natural resource minister, Jonathan Wilkinson. Minister, uh, welcome. Uh, Great to have you as, I think, my last interview on the program. I just did speak to the premier designate of Alberta, the top of the show, who's bent on challenging federal law on carbon price, on resource development. She told me she would table her Alberta Sovereignty Act, which would allow her to reject federal laws she believes are harmful to Alberta in December. What's your response to that?
3: Well, I guess my response would be uh, we all need to to take a little time to see how the new premier settles in and and what the content of of the legislation that she said she will bring forward looks like. Um, I continue to be of the view that this federation works best when we find pathways to work together, understanding that there are always uh, some differences that exist. Um, You know, the the fact that Alberta is pushing at the edges in terms of some of these these issues, and it's not just uh, Alberta, Saskatchewan is having the same conversation, is not historically strange, right? I mean, I grew up in Saskatchewan. Peter Lauheed had several similar conversations. So did Alan Blakeney. It was to Saskatchewan. So, I just wouldn't get, I wouldn't jump to conclusions that this is uh, this is going to be a, a crisis. I think there's opportunities for us to try to figure out how to work together.
0: Okay. Well. I, I... I, I like that you're pouring cool water on, uh, on the Alberta firewall there, but she says she's going to do it. She just told me that she, she obviously, they don't like Bill 69, the Impact Assessment Act, which she commonly refers to as the anti-pipeline bill. She says, look, we're going to start building uh, energy corridors and pipelines, and if you don't like that, the federal government, you could try to take them to court and stop it. What do you make of that?
3: Well, I mean, look, there, there are areas of provincial jurisdiction, there are areas of federal jurisdiction. There's certainly some things that she that can do within the bounds of the Constitution as it exists today. Um, but but I would say that that there are also areas where it will be important to collaborate. Um, I've, I've invited Alberta, as as I've invited every province and territory, to join what, what are called these regional energy and resource tables. Part of that is about talking about regulatory and permitting processes and how do we implement Bill C-69 or the Impact Assessment Act? How do we work to align the, the, the processes that they have in Alberta so that we can go faster with respect to good projects, good projects that respect environmental protection and that respect indigenous but her, rights.
0: Her, her point is, and I'll read, look, here's a quote from her victory speech. Um, we will not have our resources landlocked or our energy phased out of existence by virtue, sign- by a virtue signaling prime minister. Albertans, not Ottawa, will chart our own destiny in terms, uh, on our own terms, we'll work with our fellow Canadians to build the freest, most prosperous country on earth. Again, I'm just trying to get at you know what's coming. And this doesn't sound like your typical provincial federal strains. This sounds like something bigger.
3: Well, perhaps. Again, I'm not going to prejudge the premier, um, nor nor exactly what approach she's going to take. But what I will say is we have been working actively to ensure that we're able to get Canadian resources to market. Um, At the end of the day, we are doing so in a manner that, you know, for example, the 300,000 additional barrels a day that we have committed to actually flow through the United States uh, to help our friends in Europe, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, LNG Canada, um, on on the east or in the west coast of British Columbia. Mm. Um, But we're also doing it in a manner that respects the fact that climate change is real. And, And I think Premier Smith has been clear that she is herself committed to achieving net zero by 2050 as are almost all of the, the, the major players in the energy sector. So I do think there's a basis for conversations here. It's about trying to ensure that we're doing the right thing economically and environmentally.
0: Okay. She says she's going to launch a legal challenge to the federal government's carbon tax. She's got, quote, she told me, new arguments, even though the Supreme Court upheld that this is a federal jurisdiction. Your reaction?
3: Well, I would say, I mean, ultimately, that that's up to the courts as to whether they accept a, a new challenge. But I would say, from a legal perspective, I think the bar is very high. It would be very unusual for, I think, the Supreme Court to rehear a case it just decided, um, and and almost certainly there would be a process that one would have to go through, and the arguments would really have to be fundamentally new arguments. But so, I, I think that issue has largely been settled. But but of course, Alberta is free to try again through the courts if it feels that that is something that is worth doing. I would just say. I think the issue is settled. There are ways in which we can actually move forward um, without spending a lot more money litigating an issue that I think has been already done.
0: i, I got to leave it there. Um, we'll be watching this debate unfold. Natural Resources Minister Jonathan Wilkinson. Sir, thanks. I really appreciate it.
3: Thank you, and thank you for all you've done. I know that everybody across the benches really appreciated the, the conversations they've had with you over the years, and I certainly wish you well.
0: Thank you. I should tell people, you and I like to have debates offline on policy, which I always appreciate. We do. We're looking. That's what I like. Okay, that's Jonathan Wilkinson. Thanks. The public inquiry into the unprecedented use of the Emergencies Act begins this week. Was it really needed to end the trucker protests in February? Conservative safety critic Raquel Dancho joins us next on the Scrum. Stay right here with question period. So was it justified or not? Hearings are set to begin Thursday into the government's unprecedented use of the Emergencies Act during the trucker protest. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is actually on the roster of witnesses for the six-week inquiry. He's one of about 60 witnesses, including a handful of cabinet ministers, who will delve into whether or not the government's invocation of the Emergencies Act was actually warranted. Of course, it was in place for nine days in February to help dismantle the trucker protest that blockaded some border crossings and gridlocked downtown Ottawa for weeks. And the act gave police broad powers, including, of course, freezing some protester bank accounts. Meanwhile a parliamentary committee is doing its own study into the government's use of the act. So, were the temporary powers under this act needed to end the protest? Were they justified? And what should we expect to see? What are the politics of this public inquiry? The Scrum is here to break it all down. Joyce Napier, our CTV Ottawa bureau chief, is here. Tonda McCharles, a parliamentary reporter for the Toronto Star, is here. And our special guest this round is Conservative MP and public safety critic Raquel Dancho. Okay, great to see everybody here. Uh, Raquel Dancho, I'll start with you because you'll be there, uh, obviously. And you've asked a lot of the Minister of Public Safety on this. What what are the key questions that you have and in your view, the argument that this was not justified?
4: Well we're deeply concerned about the precedent this sets uh, for the future. We know that the The emergency powers are the most powerful powers in the land. They have the the ability to curtail charter rights. And that's why the threshold in the act is extraordinarily high. It has to be a national public safety issue or an issue that threatens the national economy. We don't believe that those thresholds were met. So we are concerned that the Liberals, by doing this, have set a precedent that every time they have a protest or a movement they don't like, they can freeze the bank accounts of Canadians. So we need to ensure that the inquiry... it very much investigates this to establish whether that precedent was met we don't believe it was a vote,
0: right? mm-hmm. I mean I mean there was a vote in parliament mm-hmm. there the the inquiry's part of it does that not suggest that you can't just snap your fingers and do it you got to get elected officials to vote for you
4: well the liberals made the argument that the police were asking for this and we found out that that's not true in fact the minister and the Prime Minister said that on multiple occasions and that was not the case so if that's not true what else have they not been telling the truth about and we hope to find that out in the inquiry so I
5: think that actually we don't know To what extent this was a failure of police leadership and management on behalf of the city of Ottawa and the province of Ontario, which had a role in this. They declared their own state of emergency, but there is no review of those, both the city and the Ontario emergencies. Um, I think... We have to. Dis- this inquiry will have to decide whether it was a failure of police leadership, um, or if the government actually did need to resort to that as a last resort. That's the. That's not just a, a question of interpretation of the law. It's also a hugely political question for this government.
0: And Joyce, I-, I talked to the police chief in Ottawa and, and others, and they said we didn't request it, as Ms. Jancho said, but we. It really helped resolve the situation. It was helpful, but we didn't request it.
6: I think the question, you know, was it needed? Sadly, I think something was needed. And if that was the nuclear option, maybe not, you know, the best option, but what we would like to know is what other options were they? You know, people were watching this and seeing, how, how did we get to this? How yeah. did it, how did chaos come so easily and so fast mm-hmm. to a city, to bridges, blocking bridges? So was it justified? Perhaps not. But was it needed? Yes. Is there a contradiction in, what, in my answer? Yes, but if not that, then my question to you and to other politicians, then what? How would you stop that? And I think Tonda is right. There was a failure from day one. No, in fact, from day minus one. Uh, well, you can, you can answer that. You I know, mean,
4: yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, at the borders, the blockades at the borders were all cleared without the use of the emergency powers. So we know that it was certainly possible to clear these illegal blockades uh, without the emergency powers. In uh, and in uh, Windsor, right? And yes. in Emerson That's as well. Right, yeah. That's correct. So, and I think part of the issue as well, we didn't see, we had heard, of course, reports that they almost came to a resolution the, day, the night before the Emergencies Act was invoked, and that fell apart. Well, why was that? Well, the, I do believe the prime minister does bear some responsibility here, for pouring gasoline on the fire for weeks and months, calling names. It did not help the situation Which, like gasoline, at let's all. Let's
0: begin. Did, did your leader, Pierre Paul ever pour gasoline on the fire by encouraging the protest to stay and break
4: the law? Well, I think it's important to recognize that there were peaceful protesters as well to... Uh, they weren't
0: peaceful, uh, they mm, may be peaceful, sure. but it was illegally occupied. You were there. You saw it. That, that's not you know, that I, wasn't legal. I
4: appreciate that there was leadership taken to try to extend an olive branch and have those conversations. I wish members of the Liberal Party would have done the same and perhaps you wouldn't have needed they wouldn't have felt they needed to invoke the Emergencies Act. We don't believe the threshold was meant, and we do believe it was an overreach.
0: Uh, Tonda, on that, there's politics on this. The Liberals are going to say, well, you stood with them, you encouraged this illegal blockade to Mr. Polyev, Mr. Polyev, and Raquel Jansha say, show us the evidence that the threshold was met. What, how does the politics of this cut?
5: Well, I mean, how does the government show that threshold was met? They're going to have to reveal something that they haven't yet revealed, which is... The extent to which perhaps they w- were fearful of extremists within the uh, ranks of the protesters, uh, the extent to which they feared uh, broader threats more, more broadly to the public order, will that be divulged in the emails and the documents that are going to be disclosed to which this will inquiry? Be, w- yes, which will be will disclosed wave, with the they judge, They will right? waive
6: cabinet They're confidence. They're waiving right.
5: cabinet confidence, but I to agree. what extent that paints yeah. a real picture of what was going on behind the scenes. They, won't, they will waive cabinet confidence, but there will still be questions of privileged information, to that, that may not be disclosed. Uh,
6: Joyce, you want to pick up on that? Well, you know, I think that uh, asking the Prime Minister, whether he's, it's, a, it's a liberal or conservative Prime Minister, to go and then talk to, to illegal occupiers is, is also creating a precedent that is unacceptable. Whatever the Prime Minister, whatever his colors or her colors are, it is unacceptable to get to that point and to say, here, cave and go talk to them. So there should have been negotiations. What I want to know, and I think Canadians should want to know, is what happened before, how did it get to this? Well, I, I, to your point,
4: Joyce, I, and I do agree. I think that there—how like, did this happen? Well, I think part of the reason this happened was because of the divisive election that happened six months prior, where the prime minister made a concerted effort to dehumanize and insult people who were on the opposite side of the majority in Canada. And we're—we've talked about this. We're well aware that he used disgusting tactics in that election to divide Canadians. Six months later, we had an unprecedented event in Ottawa of people that but, really well, I, were expressing—I'm not saying that you're trauma. Right, but just
0: real quick. Mm-hmm. So you're blaming the protest on the prime minister. But again, does your party have an account when you're shaking hands with them and bringing coffee to them and taking pictures with them and walking with them? Does your party have a responsibility to bear to something that was an illegal protest?
4: Again, I think that the Prime Minister bears responsibility for insulting them and for dividing Canadians. I think that's why we saw this kind of reaction. It was kind of an explosion of something that had been brewing for quite some time. Had he not acted in that way, perhaps we could have diffused it peacefully without the Prime Minister resulting to the largest uh, sledgehammer in the land, which is, you know, the emergency powers.
0: Okay, we're going to watch that very closely. Uh, Raquel Dancho, great to have you on the program. Uh, Tanya McCharles, who's been a regular... Well, I've been hosting this program for seven years. Thank you for coming. Love Tonda. Tonda is a fantastic journalist. We'll talk more about Tonda and many others in a minute. (laughs) Joyce is sticking around, of course, but when we come back, populism and the politics of anger, which is kind of what we're talking about. How is the political landscape changing in Canada with the election of populist leaders at a provincial and federal level? And what about at the federal government itself? Pollster Nick Nanos joins us next on The Strong. Stay right here with Question Period. political parties on the right are taking center stage and populism is proving popular with danielle smith's election as the new premier of alberta she wrote a wave of what some call western separatism in Quebec, François Legault's right-wing CAC government won a landslide victory in the past week, winning on the backs of policies. Many outside that province saw as anti-immigrant, anti-religious minority, anti-anglophone. Tomorrow marks one month since Mr. Pollyyev became leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. He openly has supported the trucker protests and, of course, his... Fought against inflation. And guess what? It's all working. You got that high inflation, post-COVID anger, and there's a new nanos research projection that says the conservative party federally would now win more seats than the liberals if an election will be held today. The conservatives winning 108 seats compared to 106 for the liberals. So, Are Canadian politics starting to shift to the right? And does this signal a new political landscape in Canada? The Scrum is going to answer all that. Joyce Napier is back. Our CTV Ottawa Bureau Chief, Steph Levitz, Parliament Hill reporter for The Star, jumps in. And our special guest this round is our pal Nick Nanos of Nanos Research and the man behind the poll. Uh, Steph, welcome. And Nick, of course, Joyce and I are just waiting for you to arrive. Uh, Is there a shift Right? Because in Ontario, Doug Ford, though he wins on the right, shifted to the center.
7: There is a shift right, but the polarization sickness that we've seen in other democracies is now in Canada. We've seen it in the United States, in the United Kingdom, France, Germany, now Canada. And what we see are these provincial governments, these provincial movements shifting to the right, largely in response, I think to very progressive policies at the national level from the Liberals. And that's what we're seeing. So we're seeing a bit of a pendulum swing back in another direction. Is that it?
0: The the NDP, the Liberals make that kind of... uh power-sharing deal, as it were, and and now suddenly you see Danielle Smith running on that. She calls it the NDP-Liberal coalition.
8: To some extent, perhaps it's also a bit of anti-establishment behavior coming on the part of right-wing parties um, across the country. We're coming out of a pandemic where the establishment, the institutions of our country, are perceived to have failed a lot of people. And of course, liberals and New Democrats will argue, well, no, they didn't. They were propped up. People were given millions of dollars. It really helped them out. The government showed its value. But there is a large cohort of people who still feel like they were done wrong by, that they couldn't trust the institutions. They were failed by their governing leaders. It's not ideological as much as it is a response to who was in power. That's one point. But the second, though, you could say that, and you could also look, provincial governments are getting re-elected. There is no political accountability for the pandemic. If people were really frustrated, would Ford have won re-election? Would Legault have won re-election, just as two examples?
0: Well, then you got Legault, Joyce, and then you got the rise of Danielle Smith, who... What a remarkable, t- seven years ago she's in the wilderness, she's hated, now she's the premier designate.
6: Well, you know, the, uh, let's start with Legault in Quebec. What was it described w- very well in a column as the tepid election and, you know, sort of the tepid solution. People just voted for him. Is he really liked that much? Is this, was this from the heart or is this just like okay, it worked. Uh, right. They forgave him because Quebec was so strict during uh, the pandemic. Right? They were, they were curfews in Quebec and not in the rest of the the country so there was no anger about that in fact his uh, you know governance of the pandemic didn't even come up hardly during the campaign you know in the case of danielle smith in alberta well that's a story to follow uh and that's i mean you know is she not canada's comeback kid yeah the
0: sovereignty act and she talked about it yes. on this program Nick, but also, you, you see, Bill 21, Bill 96, the language laws, the secularism laws. Federal government's letting provinces kind of play a little faster and looser with constitutional issues, and not doing that much and about you
7: know, it. Th- there are two things that are at our play. The reality is is that the Ottawa government brand, set aside whoever the government of the day is, is on the ropes. Most Canadians would use words like anger or pessimism to describe that. The other thing is the political muscle in the two <laughs> biggest provinces, Quebec and Ontario. The muscle is there, not with the federal Liberals right now. So watch out for the Federation and how it's going to work with two very powerful premiers with big mandates facing uh, a Liberal government that perhaps is getting a little long in the tooth.
0: Do you see that? I I mean, they're they're saying we're going to get this dental care done uh, and, and Jagmeet Singh says we're really getting things done. Is that starting to help or hurt the Liberals?
8: They have to be able to deliver on the promises they've made. This is a government that's been outstanding at promising things and absolutely terrible at implementation. Mm. I mean, and now they're really long in the tooth in their mandate. And, And, you know, I guess implementation isn't sexy, right? Like, governments don't like to go out and put out press releases and say, look at all the good things we've done today, because nobody really pays attention. They want new ideas. They want something new. What have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately? And so if the Liberals can't sort of start implementing the things they've promised of course it's going to hurt them because now they've promised the moon and w- what are we at like a little bit of the stars a little TikTok. bit of the dipper tick tock
7: it's been seven years
0: yeah. are we into a world now where the provinces and the federal government are you know provinces see political hate to run against this government and a government that both Nick and Steph are saying starting to get long in the tooth and try to figure it what do we have to offer now?
6: Well, I think it's personal for the new premier of, of, uh, of Alberta and for François Legault, it's personal. Like, he has things that he's going to come to Ottawa and demand. Is it going to be a warm and fuzzy, the, the, the next meeting of premiers and the prime minister, is it going to be warm and fuzzy? I don't think so. I mean, they'll be polite, uh, but it's not going to be because they really have, first of all, perhaps the federal government, there has been an overreach uh, over the last years, perhaps you know, uh, uh, provinces feel that you know they've been walking on our feet for a long time. We want to have some control right. over it.
7: If Ontario and Quebec team up against the federal yeah. government, they win. The federal government loses. It's basically as simple as that. And how about Politically, Alberta? Yeah, and Alberta, but put Alberta but, in the mix. Yep. All right,
0: I, uh, I got to leave it there. But wow, it's 2022 and there's federal-provincial tension. I've never seen that before. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, I, I got to leave it there. First of all, I want to thank. Nick and Steph for always being regulars on this program. You two are superb. Nick, of course, always delivering the data and one of the best journalists I've ever met. Steph Levitz, of course, Joyce is going to be here in the chair next week because this is my last week on the show. For the last seven years, I've had the tremendous honor of hosting Canada's oldest and most watched political affairs program, standing on the shoulders of superb journalists like Bob Fife, Craig Oliver, Kevin Newman, all three mentors and friends, Jane Tabor, Eddie Greenspan, John Ibbotson. And now, of course, Joyce will be in the chair for the next while. So you are in great hands. I have no worry about that. This program has been on since 1967, before I was born. Let's just say before anyone on this panel show was born, because it does one thing better than any other. Holds politicians to account. The mandate has always been fearless questions, facts first, and getting the newsmakers to set the agenda for the week ahead. The journalists who join us, the special guests who join us every week, bring their own original insight on the scrum, and their job is to do one thing serve you, deliver you the nonpartisan information you need to make your opinion about the direction of this great country. Behind the scenes, there's a team here. Well, team doesn't really describe this place. Let me say this there's a family here. Our senior producer, the superb Stephanie Haw, who is tireless. Our associate producer, Spencer Van Dyke, incredible. Our former producers I've worked closely with, like Nicole Green, Kieran Ryans, Ian Wood, Mackenzie Gray, Jordan Gowling, Noah Richardson, all superb people. And our team, our technical team, led by the brilliant Derek Thacker, Scott R, Scott P, Robin, Dave Ellis, Carlo, Jim, Peter, Marley, Jeff M, Jeff D, Ryan, Brian, and our amazing makeup artist, Samantha Caldwell, believe me, we don't look like this all the time. Thank you, Sam, in the magic room. Of course, our talented digital team, Rachel Aiello and Sarah Turnbull, and the news team we all work closely with, Rosa Omar, Richard Grey-Wade, and others like Wendy Freeman and Randy. Thank you. I say their names because programs like this do not exist without people believing in them, caring about them, paying for them, and they believe that facts matter. I always say let's go get some answers because that's the privilege we do. We have to ask Questions to our elected leader and try as hard as we can to get the answers you need. I'm going to leave for a new job in New York City to try to get some answers there if I can on political issues, but I want to thank you for spending your Sunday mornings here, for caring about this country, seeking out the answers. Uh, Thank you, CTV News. Thank you to the Bureau and my family here. And my real family, Tam and Maze and Ged, Mom, love you. You will see Joyce in this chair in seven days, which will be great. Hug your loved ones. It's a long road in a small world, and I'll see you along the way. Thanks for watching.